Today's scripture comes from the book of Hosea, um, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If you're looking to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's going to be on page 896. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, they, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, take my arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed for them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changed with me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. thought about collecting a lot of stones and uh, putting a stone underneath each chair to uh, even it's a pot to leave on a, to leave on the table on the way out the door to signify leaving behind their sins. And uh, I opted not to, but I know if it was me I would be tempted to possibly lob stones. So I couldn't and tomatoes aren't as much fun either. Anyway, that's, I digress, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, anyways, let's get into this here now. Then we talk about God's mercy, like I was saying. We talked about His unfailing love last week and, our, and His faithfulness to us. It's because of His unfailing love and His, faith, his, un, his faithfulness to us that He shows us mercy. So, a teenage high school student who played on, played on the football team was... Uh, at practice one day, and uh, after practice he was gathering with his friends, and they were talking about going out and doing something that evening, and uh, so the son returned home to ask his father, so can I go out with my friends tonight? And it being football practice night, his father looks at him and says, is your homework done? The teenager's heart sank because he knew his homework wasn't done. He knew that because it was football practice night, that he has an exorbitant amount of homework to do. And not only that, he's now home later than he normally would be, so he does not have as much time. So he's like, well, I give him my answer. I'm not going to be able to go out tonight now, am I? So the son was truthful. He said, no, my homework is not done. The dad reminds him, well, you know the rules. You can't go out unless your homework's done. And 
I, I forgot what part of the story is. He also was asking to borrow the car in that part of the, in that asking. And uh, so his father says to him, he's like, no, you cannot go out tonight and you cannot borrow the car because by the time you get your homework done, because it's football game, it's going to be too late to go out. And the teenage boy whines and he's like, he's a normal teenager can. It's hard to imagine a football player whining, though, isn't it? <laughs> so, but Dad! And uh, the dad responds, my guess is that you have quite a bit of homework tonight. And by the time you have dinner and get, get it done, it will be too late to go out. So again, no, you cannot borrow the car and you cannot go out. So the son retreats up the stairs to his room to get changed and seemingly begin his homework. He comes down the stairs to grab a drink. He notices his father is nowhere to be seen. The keys are sitting right there on the counter. He looks around to make sure the coast is clear. This is pretty bold what he does. He picks the keys up, walks out the door to the driveway, and takes off with the car to go out with his friends. <clears throat> he has so much, so much fun with his friends, he loses track of time. Not only did he go out when he wasn't supposed to, not only did he take the car without permission, but he also broke curfew. His curfew was normally 10.30. He comes strolling into the house at 11.30. The house was completely dark. Thinking, oh, the coast is clear. Everyone's gone to bed. No one's even noticed I was gone. He comes in the kitchen door, turns on the light. There is his father sitting at the counter. He's like, surprised, this child asks him, Dad, what are, what are you doing up? <clears throat> Father clears his throat. <clears> He's <throat> like, um, huh, what are you doing out? Uh, his father says. It's like, I'm pretty sure I said you could not go out tonight. I'm pretty sure that you said, I said that you could not borrow the car. I'm pretty sure you told me that your homework wasn't done. He's like, so he's like, you want to know why I'm up? I, I am up because I was debating when I noticed the car missing. Do I call the police and report it stolen? Or do I sit here and wait for you to come home? And he says, to, and the father says to him, because you are my son and I love you dearly and I do not want you to have Grand Theft Auto on your, on your background record, I chose not to call the police, which I could have done because that's not your car. And the son says, you wouldn't. You couldn't do that. He's like, you're right. No, I couldn't because you're my son and I love you. And I know I have taught you and raised you better than this. He's like, but when you do go out with that car that you don't have permission for, you are in fact stealing that car. Even though you're coming back with it, you are stealing that car and going for a joyride. And yes, I could call the police, but no, since I don't want you to pay for a criminal background record your entire life, I chose to not do that, and we, but you are going to be punished. He's like, he's like, yeah, I am sure your homework is not done. It's like, not only do I expect you to have your homework done for school tomorrow, even though it's late, but I expect but you're going to be grounded for a month. You can't go out with your friends for an entire month. The 
teenager just listened to what the father had to say and retreated to his room. Father, because of his unfailing love for his son, showed him mercy in this story. Yes, there were still consequences for the son's actions, but there was the hope of restoration. Mercy was shown because the father very well could have called the police and reported the car stolen. But he chose the lesser punishment. In the text from Hosea, we see God the Father of God the Father extending mercy to his son Israel. That despite their dis that despite their disobedience, he shows mercy. Have you experienced the mercy of your parents as a child? I know I have. I know I've, I have done, I know in my past I have done things that I thought I was going to be far more severely punished and I was grateful for the mercy of my parents to, to not be as severely punished as I thought. So, have you experienced the mercy of God? The mercy God extends to us. So like I said, we're saying last week we talked about God's faithfulness to us and his unfailing love, despite our unfaithfulness. Today we're going to talk about God's mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone, even though the person wrong would be right to punish. Mercy is not calling the police on your son when he takes the car without permission. Today in Hosea, we hear God talking about his people Israel, like a parent talks about their children. God starts talking about his relationship with Israel like a, like a father and son. He tells, he tells how he called them out of Egypt. He delivered them from a life of slavery. However, the more God called his son, the more he rebelled and went the opposite direction that God intended. They turned, they turned their attention to other gods, offering sacrifices to Baal. A god carved in wood or stone who does not respond when called upon. God provided for Israel as they left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. He provided water from out of a rock, and he provided manna from them to pour them to deep. God has indeed led his people through the wilderness. The last part of verse 3, God says this. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. God was faithful and delivered Israel out of Egypt. He provided for them through the wilderness. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. He provided manna in the morning that appeared like dew on the ground. And when they, even when they complained about the manna, he had mercy on them and provided quail. I've never had a quail, but I've heard, it was I've heard it's delicious. Um, and he provided quail. There was a point in time in their wilderness travels that they got thirsty and had no water. Moses struck a rock with his stick and water flowed from the rock. God provided for them all the way to the promised land. But what do they do when they get there? They embrace false gods. They embrace Baal. They start sacrificing to idols. I'm sure those of you, 
I'm sure those of us here who are parents, I, I can't relate to this, I'm not a parent, but I have seen this in action, can relate to how God feels in the beginning of Hosea 11. I have seen similar things happen between parents and their children. The parent wants their child to do a certain thing, but the more the parent calls their child to do it, the more they go the opposite direction. I have certainly witnessed a mom tell a toddler not to do something. Like, don't, don't climb the bookcase over there. The toddler looks back with that little toddler grin, continues to walk to the, walk to toddle over to the bookcase. The mother increasingly says, no, don't do that. We're getting more and more imperative with each, no, don't do that. Now the toddler still waddling over there with his little grin, gets to the bookcase, it begins to look like he's about to climb. Then the mother yells very loudly, I said no, and picks the child up and puts them in the playpen. Now there's no bookcase to climb in the playpen. If you're not going to listen to me, you're going to sit over here in the playpen for a little bit. We haven't experienced this with our children. I am sure we've seen it in others. I can imagine this is how God is feeling right now with his son, Israel. God is angry with the behavior of Israel. But they refuse to return to him and heed his many calls. They will go back to Egypt and serve the Assyrians. Like the child in the playpen, Israel will take a time out. God begins by saying that world war will swirl through their cities and their enemies will come in and utterly destroy them because his people are determined to deserve it. Then the chapter turns. And God remembers his love for his son. God asks, How can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma and Zeboiim, two cities that were destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely wiped off the planet? God says his heart is broken within him and his compassion for his people overflows. Praise God for his compassion for his people. It is only because of this compassion that Israel, God's son, can experience the mercy God is going to extend to his people. God says, I will not punish you as much as my burning anger tells me to. He will not completely destroy Israel, but he is God, because he is God and not a mere mortal. God is the Holy One who lives among his people and has not come to destroy. God's mercy is extended. Israel does serve the Assyrians during their captivity. God does provide hope for restoration. His people will hear the roar of God like a mighty lion and return to their land and their homes once again. God will extend mercy and grace and bring them back to the place he's called them to live. This is a story of God's mercy extended to his people Israel. Mercy does not mean there aren't consequences because Israel was punished for their rebellion. But God did not utterly destroy them. He extended a path of hope for restoration. And Israel sinned time and time again against God. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. That is the punishment for sin. 
But praise God for His mercy. Because we do not need to pay that price. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, we see, we hear, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Yeah. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. People today are a lot like God's son of Israel. Not at all living how God, the creator of all things, intended us his creation to live. God, in his unfailing, steadfast love for us, his creation, when Adam sinned and brought with that sin evil and death into this world, God, in his mercy, provided a way of hope and life through his only son, Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh. He paid the price for sins. God's mercy for us is demonstrated that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price, and now God's mercy is extended to all, if you so choose to accept it. Christ bore the payment of sins on the cross, which was death. But praise God, our sins and death could not keep him down. Three days later, Christ rose victoriously from the dead. It is because of this that we can rise to new life in Christ. We experience God's grace through this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We experience God's mercy in no longer needing to pay the penalty, which is death, for our sins, because Christ paid that price for all of us. No longer do we live after our rebellious, sinful desires, but we rise to new and unending life in Christ. Colossians 3, 9 through 11 tells us, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wickedness. Put on, put on your new nature and be renewed as you, learned, as you learned to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and our acceptance of God's grace through his son Jesus Christ, our old sinful, rebellious nature has been stripped off. In Colossians, we are called to put on our new nature, to learn more about God, our Creator, and our Lord Jesus Christ, and to become more and more like him as our relationship with God, our Father, grows. There are days we can lose track of living this way and be sidetracked into the lives of sin God our Father had delivered us from. Praise God that His steadfast love is always there and His mercy and His grace are always there for us to return to. Lamentations 3, 19-23 says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. 
I will never forget this awful time. As I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. A little background to the Book of Lamentations. The Book of Lamentations was written during a time where the, where the Israelites were going through, were in, weren't living in the land of the promise. They were in captivity. And this, and this is a book of their laments going through this. And they have, they are, they're a body of people that have no home. They're strangers in the land. But they come back to this, no matter what their situation is. In verses 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Perhaps they remember the words of Hosea, where it says that God will roar like a lion and call his people back to him. And they will come like birds out of Egypt and Assyria and return to the life and return to him and to live as he has called them to live. They know that, it's, that that is not the end. God, our Creator, who, can, who, we, who we can boldly call our Father, even though we insist on going the opposite direction, He calls us, has extended mercy to all of creation. Like His Son Israel, God has extended a path to reconciliation. Despite our rebellious, sinful nature, God in His mercy sent Jesus Christ into this world to live and die, like one of us, to pay the price for our sinful ways. God has made a way for His creation to return to their intended purpose. All we need to do is reach out and accept the mercy and grace that has been extended through the work of Jesus Christ. Like His children Israel, God has made a path for us to return to Him the loving creator of all. Those of us who have been changed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are still a work in progress. There are sometimes going to be days that we fail to live faithful, represent faithful representatives of Christ in our communities, to our families, and just in general. But His grace and His mercy is always there for us to return to. His mercies are new every morning. As long as we realize how we have lived, how, how, how we did the day before, and confess that, and repent, and ask God, and ask God to help us to live better the next day. God does not care what you did yesterday. He cares what you're doing today, how you're living for Him today. mercies, and that is then and why his mercies are new every morning. We need his mercy every day. We need his forgiveness every day. Every day we should strive to be better representatives of Christ. We do this by digging into the word and getting to know and understand more and more about God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and allowing the way He lived and the, and the Word within us to shape how we live and walk out these doors and interact with our communities. 
Today I invite you to listen to the roar of the lion in your heart, to hear God calling you to return to him, to choose to live every day as better representatives of Christ in our communities. Never forget the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and that his mercies are new every morning. We need his forgiveness on a daily basis. May God begin and continue to work in our hearts today. And when we stray, may we hear the roar of the lion to return to God our Father quickly, before it gets out of hand. Let's pray.